0: Five, four,
1: three, two, one. Hi, this is Wes Craven, the director of uh, Scream 2, and with me is...
0: Marianne Madalena, producer, one of the producers on Scream 2.
1: And Patrick Lussier, film editor. And we'll just go to sort of comment our way through this, uh, beginning at the Rialto Theater in Pasadena, for the exteriors of this scene, with Jada Pinkett and... Omar Epps. I think that girl, wasn't she the winner of some contest, Maria?
0: Yeah, she was the contest winner, the usher, I do believe.
2: Yeah, I think it's the interior usher. I think the outside usher is actually Sydney's double or photo double. I stand it.
0: Oh, you're right. Whoops. No, you're right. It's the usher with the lawn. It was very exciting to have Jaden Omar in our movie.
1: She sent me a complete set of steak knives for Christmas that year.
0: (laughs) Good sense of humor.
3: Let tell you what it is, okay? What? It's a dumb-ass white movie about some
4: dumb-ass white girls getting their white-asses cut. The fuck This
1: picture is sort of built around a look at uh, the place of drama in uh, in human affairs, I think, and that we begin at the uh, the stage of a movie theater, actually, and kind of take a look at who we are ourselves watching a movie. And the center part of the movie has a big theme around built around uh, Nev Campbell's character being a Theater student, and then it ends on a stage, also. So that was kind of the, the tent poles, if you will, of the picture. We come up to our contest winner.
0: What's this? Dab souvenirs, the studio something. And it's white. <laughs> Thanks.
1: Thank you. That's it. That's her big moment.
0: <laughs> pandemonium
3: Kill, kill. Very
0: romantic. This is a long three days, wasn't it?
1: Yes, it was, and uh, this is where we learned that if you have big uh, mob scenes in a movie that uh, that will be on the internet that night. I think this entire scene was on the internet almost immediately. That's right. Part of our learning curve for security.
0: Never out another one. Here we are with Heather Graham, playing the Drew role, the Drew hairdo. It's
1: too bad. She never went on to anything after this.
0: (laughs) It's a shame, really.
1: Yeah, this is Stab, the uh, movie within the movie. This is our sort of a Hitchcock tribute, of course. Everybody, all the guys in the audience you could hear were... uh, mad at us that we didn't show actual nudity Why she gotta
4: be naked? what does that have to do with the plot of the story her being but ass naked
3: I don't know about the
2: plot this scene was interesting in, in the terms of editing uh, working with Wes I remember uh, all the discussions of when you were full screen inside the actual stab movie and when you were actually just seeing the screen and all the extra people and that it was always off of Maureen's character Jada Pinkett you were going in inside the film itself so that it would be full frame as opposed to actually seeing the audience in the crowd, so that it's very much her experience with the uh, Casey character in Stab.
0: Who is this?
1: Well, yeah, and It seems to me we, found we we sort of experimented with it various ways, and when we played it as kind of an event in the theater, it wasn't nearly as strong as if we went directly into it um, and played it as film oh, inside the frame, right, Patrick?
2: It always seemed to be kind of removed when you when you were seeing the audience so, from an audience perspective, it was useful in that regard in order to sell Maureen's experience that she's going through to better connect it. It seemed far more effective to go right into the screen to the full frame. I don't
1: even have right. a boyfriend right now. Also, it was a little weird because we shot this opening sequence, the stab sequence, as kind of a film. And then when we started intercutting it, it started to lose its power. So, we had to, that was, I think, another reason why we uh, ended up going back into it sometimes just fully so that it could play uh, as its own uh, powerful thing.
4: You know, I don't even know you, and I just like you already.
2: It seemed was great fun when we when we previewed the movie um, in uh, Tucson. That the audience reaction in that scene was great and getting all the references to the first film and delighting in, you know, shots like the popcorn and the phone and and reminiscences from the first film and how we were playing off that. Peter Deming, the uh, director of photography, actually makes a uh, cameo in this scene as popcorn boy.
0: Hi. I think he did a good job. Um, can I have a
4: medium popcorn, no butter, and a small diet Pepsi?
1: You
4: got it. Thanks. That's it. I am not going back in
1: there. And he appears later in Scream 3 as the popcorn eating tourist mm-hmm. in the tour outside the studio. With you? Well, I didn't want to mention that. There's a lot of you know, like background, all the background here reflecting sort of the building of tension here, people running through with knives. And this whole sequence was kind of an interesting one because it starts very sort of fun with all the props and everything else and false scares, and then moves sort of inexorably towards this uh, much darker revelation of uh, kind of the violence inherent in the story itself and uh, kind of the audience's enjoyment of it and then being shocked by uh, the reality of it. Which I, I've always felt was one of the more powerful aspects of uh, screen films was... Uh, me? You know, kind of looking at uh, the reality that's behind the story, if you will, and uh, that sort of dynamic tension between uh, watching a film and sometimes laughing at scares and at the same time uh, being aware uneasily almost of, uh, of the reality in the real world of violence. See you inside. His sequence was, um, I think, uh, Kevin Williamson knew the sequence even when we were shooting uh, Scream 1, did he not, Marianne? Yeah,
0: he had this idea along with the Scream 1 script.
1: Sort of became the uh, foundation of the rest of the picture, which he, um, I think, devised later. This sequence, if I'm not mistaken, was a bit improvised. Uh, I think the uh, the the way in in which Omar dies, I, I kind of improvised on on the set, uh, trying to think of uh, ways to do it that I hadn't seen before. It was kind of typical of um, several kind of the uh, death sequences in the Scream series of, uh, you know, Kevin. I think wrote something like uh, he comes in and then Wes makes it scary, <laughs> so uh, it was kind of fun to um, then sort of flesh out what the scene would be.
2: This is another thing in terms of misdirection and the scare that you hear. You hear the voice on the other side babbling in this very strange things that he's saying, trying to draw Omar closer and closer in a a very strange and bizarre way that misleads you to think that what he's hearing is one thing and then turns out to be something else.
1: Omar did an incredible job of selling it. Was a Collapsible knife that was he had put his ear up to. I think he had a piece of wadding in his ear so it wouldn't poke through his eardrum. And then when he pulled his head away, it would pop out. That's a similar device, uh, Patrick, that we used in uh, Scream 3 with the mother uh, outside the window. Yeah. With her her voice sort of babbling quietly and you're straining your ears so you're not looking for a jump.
2: That was a very effective misdirection.
1: We shot this uh, stab sequence in a very nice neighborhood in Malibu, and uh, I remember <laughs> the culmination of it with uh, Heather screaming her lungs out, and she's well, really a world-class screamer. Uh, people were calling the police and everything else. Want some popcorn?
3: Uh-uh.
4: See, if that was me, I would be out of there. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Patrick, you're a patented knife swing there, isn't it?
2: Yeah, I believe there's many through here. These were actually enhanced by uh, Todd Toon, the sound supervisor on the show, who also did the third one. And, um, I believe they're made up like. 13 or 14 different sounds, including, like, lions and all sorts of different animals all blended in together to make that incredibly sharp, hideous sound of knife through flesh.
0: <laughs> Jada is quite a trooper here.
1: Quite a trooper and quite an actress. I yeah. mean, this mime of, uh, you know, the disbelief and the, the sort of a shock, growing shock was just amazing, I thought. sort of the scene lives or dies on that kind of acting she really really sold it
0: and continues here just when she crawls up on the platform it's just so horrific no one's doing anything about it it's such a a great sequence
2: it was again one of the amazing things when we previewed it you had an audience that was essentially doing what the audience in the crowd was doing you know being very excited with the film but again as she is dying in front of them the audience doesn't really quite understand what you're doing to them and how you're messing with their heads And the point that everything goes quiet, the the audience in the theater is actually quiet because they they don't really understand, I think, the immensity of what you've just done to them.
1: Yeah, it is a terrible sort of trick uh, upside the head of uh, let's take a look at what we're all enjoying here. So in the book of making horror films, it's, uh, you know, those first 10 to 15 minutes are the most important ones where you establish kind of the level of threat and um, the seriousness of the filmmaking, I think. And that uh, sequence, I think, does it in spades. After that, you can relax for quite a while as a filmmaker and just sort of start establishing your story and characters because you've, uh, you've already set the tone. very cleverly written too I think by Kevin after uh, you know scaring the hell out of everybody you go to uh, this false scare and uh, flash, Corey. you see ne- Nev's way ahead of this kid and uh, you kind of not let the whole audience take a deep breath
4: hope you enjoyed the movie
2: it also shows that she is a character has, has become very resilient to these events
1: right okay. gee nice decoration Marion
4: you know Ron uh, it's not an easy thing
1: Marianne, um, I think, checked the uh, the decoration of this and came mm-hmm. in and did a complete redecoration of it and recoloration and everything else too. Uh,
0: New paint. Uh, this is great. Here's Kevin Williamson on the left. That's right. Doing a cameo as the talk show host with Cotton Weary.
4: You were fully exonerated. Yeah, well, that the nickel gets you a cup of coffee. Even that's not true anymore. Well, certainly, with Gail
0: Weathers' book... Freddy Krueger sweater there on the right. On purpose. All right. Of course, Elise Neal, who is in the scene. Hey, move your ass, okay? You're late. Don't forget about we'll the routine right mixer tonight at the Delta so
2: It's one of the great beginnings of uh, Cotton Weary as the glory-seeking media hound, which, of course, in Screen 3, he fully realizes, but here throughout the film, that being his one of his main agendas.
0: His desperation for fame. Right. It's a sorority. Look, Sid, just lower the walls for the next few days, okay? This self-induced isolation you got going is not healthy. I'm fine. I'm fine. Yes, I know. This is the kind of shot that drives
1: the TV guys crazy when they try to pan and scan it, you know?
0: Check out the news.
1: Who was that girl? She was the niece of the uh, president of the college or something, wasn't she?
0: God, I don't remember
1: I think so.
4: murdered last night during a sneak preview of the new movie stab the police haven't released any information except for the victim's names
0: Hershey gets the news and the game is back on
4: and Phil Stevens were both Windsor he's got, got
0: film theories this morning
1: ended with the of two young <laughs> Marianne, uh, tell us a little bit about this college where we shot
0: this is Agnes Scott College in Atlanta, Georgia, and it's a girls' school, and uh, we spent about a month there, in a very hot month.
1: Extremely hot.
0: Sometimes I think it was 109 at 3 in the morning. But it was fun. We had a great time, and uh, everyone was really nice to us there.
1: Yeah, great campus. It's sort of uh, late Victorian.
0: You can't blame real-life violence on Although
1: here, we're back in Los Angeles at UCLA. This was a scene that we reshot. Uh, the original scene is in the additional scenes in this uh, DVD, but we wanted to bring Sarah Michelle Gellar in. I know for one thing, so that uh, her character didn't appear just one place in the uh, in the movie.
0: And of course, there's Josh Jackson from Dawson's Creek on the left. Thank you. I agree with you.
1: That so important this scene
2: to, to originally in the in the original version, of the scene that it was very much a confrontation just between Mickey and Randy, and it may, was seen far too pointed that Mickey seemed too suspicious and it was better to introduce all these other characters and, and let him sit further in the background.
1: Someone's trying to make a real-life sequel. Stat 2 Who'd want to do that?
4: Sequels suck. No, wow. Wow. come on, man. Oh, please, please. By definition alone, they're inferior films. It's bullshit generalization. Many sequels have surpassed their original. Oh, yeah? Name one. Yeah. Aliens, far better than the first. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, there's no accounting for taste. Thank you, Ridley Scott rules. Name another. You no. Know <laughs> Aliens is a classic, okay? Get away from her, you bitch. <laughs> I believe the line is stay away from her, you bitch. It's film class, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, got yeah. You. Whatever, you know what I mean. <laughs> another.
3: T2. Mm. You've got a hard on for Cameron. Mm. Big one. Yeah.
4: <laughs> but wait a second. The first Terminator is historical. Yeah. Sarah Connor. Yes. <laughs> oh, all right, all right, all right, okay. House Two, the second story. Oh, what? Um, the entire horror uh, genre was destroyed by sequels. I got it, by the way. I got
2: it. The Godfather, part two.
4: Oh my God, that's an Oscar winning campaign. All
1: right, that's enough. That'll be a wrap. The sequel discussion be well, we like anything where uh, Jamie can do his shtick. How
4: would you make it different?
2: I'd
1: let the geek get the girl. That shot—I think it took about 15 takes. For some reason, he couldn't get that. This next shot—the uh, steadicam shot—was uh, a very ambitious one. We had grips running around with lights, for tracking these guys, and everything else. It was a. Uh, it was very strange. And also, Jamie, didn't he do an imitation here of our line producer? Yeah,
0: Daniel Loopy, our English line producer. But, Wes, didn't we have to reshoot this because of the light or something?
1: Yeah, I think we had a flickering light or something. That's right. we had right. to go back and do it again.
0: Yeah. And luckily we did because we got that great accent, which we appreciate.
4: You know what happened at Woodsboro, Randy.
0: You can't ignore it. I know, Sid. Here comes Jerry O'Connell.
4: Can we just go back to our pseudo-quasi-happy existence? Hello, Derek. How you doing? Hey, Sid. Yeah. I've been looking everywhere.
2: It's interesting how uh, Randy seems to notice Derek just before he sees him. All <laughs> <laughs> <You're right. laughs> He's got that psychic thing going
0: on.
4: any tricks for getting me back to a pseudo happy existence. You know, I might just have one for that. Not always oh, easy.
0: Yeah,
1: <laughs> but we love him. He did a great job.
0: He's so funny.
4: That was pretty good. Get a roll.
1: I think it's an old checky green line I heard once in Las Vegas. Hey guys,
0: Intro Gale weather soon.
3: Nice. They're threatening to what? Are you kidding me? it be stupid to pull this movie.
1: There's another good Steadicam cam 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 shot, I think.
3: Numbers this weekend. It'll break Fox office records. Consider it done.
0: Courtney wanted to look even harder than Scream 1 and wanted, you know, to have the severe hair style. Huh? And, uh, yeah, uh yeah. She's got a bit more sophisticated than the woman we met in Scream One.
1: Yeah, the way you you uh, you and Courtney worked it out, uh, Marianne, was like she always wanted to be sophisticated, but kind of in a little bit tacky way. A little tacky, way, right? yeah.
0: A little over the top with the hair and the jewelry, and then obviously the bare arms.
4: No. Just one second. I, I know you probably get this all the time, but I just wanted to say I'm such a big fan of your work. I just finished your book, I, I couldn't put it down. In- Laurie Metcalf I just really, really loved your book Thank you Sure yes. I'm a writer myself you know, I just write for the local paper For the Foods telegraph I'm Debbie Salt uh, I took your seminar
1: Great, great intensity and sort of wackiness uh, I think that she pulled off in this Completely, uh, I think, fooled the audience Nobody ever was uh, suspicious of her
4: oh, You must be getting quite a lot of plaque on that Right? Well, with all the violence and cinema issues What is your position going to be?
1: This uh, cameraman, by the way, is Dwayne Martin, very funny uh, funny guy, um, okay. comedian, and actor, and also, I think, a sports agent of all things.
0: Desperate and obvious.
1: Oh. Married to one of the most beautiful women in the world, too. Do you
0: think these
1: murders are
0: connected? Actress, right? He, he sure is.
1: Tisha. And we're coming up on in, uh, the introduction of uh, a very interesting actor here. This is Louis Arquette, who is David Arquette's father. So, so far we've had, in the screen series, we've had a brother and the father of David
0: Exactly, Richmond and Lewis. Can you tell prepared... us of
4: any precautions...
1: I think it, Was this the first time they'd worked together or they'd done it once before briefly? I
0: think in a play, maybe, but never on film. And we will be carrying out it's great. Oh, my God, this is huge. Do you have any suspects? Well, there's Dan Ardondo in the background. We just saw him, our co-producer.
1: Who appears in all three screams.
0: Throughout the movies.
1: Motion picture starring Gail Weathers.
4: Be kind. She saved
0: our lives. She had caff implants.
4: partly. Do you plan on giving the town a curfew? I'm gonna get closer. Chris Tim
0: Olivant on the left. I think just had a baby.
4: Right now, the so that's her. Yeah.
0: Here come the girls. Of course, Portia de Rossi and Rebecca Gayheart.
4: Hello, girls. Enjoying yourselves? Oh, hello, Sister Lois, Sister
1: Murphy. This uh, movie kind of was the springboard for them. Uh, yeah. Among many other of the actors and actresses, uh, but they went on very quickly after this to uh, starring roles in television and movies. Yeah,
0: of course, Portia is a huge star on Ellie McBeal and also um, very visible on a lot of, I think it's L'Oreal. She's the spokeswoman for L'Oreal, and she's doing great. And, of course, Rebecca Gayhart works all the time. Both so beautiful. We'll
3: be there. Oh, good. Because, Sid, we
2: have our... It's interesting as you meet all these characters Out, there's something suspicious about all of them. You're, you look at them all and in terms of the story, and there's... You're always looking for who could it be? Jerry especially plays it very well. He always says something where you're thinking that, okay, this, is, this could easily be the
0: guy.
4: the right.
0: I love the wardrobe of all those sorority gals, very you know sherbert-oriented. And so we put Nev in very sort of dark colors, just kind of grounding her. And uh, Elise, who is a sorority sister, wants to be when we, all, we put in the lighter-colored pastels to match the sorority girls. But we wanted to show Sydney is just very serious and grounded as well as she could be.
1: And here's David's introduction to the movie.
0: And here's the theme, the Dewey theme.
1: The controversial Dewey theme.
0: Is this the first time we ever hear the Dewey theme, isn't it, Patrick?
2: This is the first time, yeah. And this is uh, this the original source of this theme being actually from Broken Arrow. It's actually the licensed piece by Hans Zimmer. And then uh, we have our own Dewey theme that, that we use later. For the more serious moments but for the actual moment of introduction that, that is an actual piece from another film it.
1: and it sort of happened by uh, being used in the editing process as a sort of scratch track and we just uh we never heard anything that quite fit the mood of uh of dewey in the scenes as as well as this so we ended up doing something i think i've never done before in my films of uh, l- licensing something from another movie but it was just we felt like well that's just the piece it just fits it perfectly
0: in the film business, we, we call it temp love. You put something in your temp score that you don't own, and um, you fall in love with it, and you have to either give it up, find something better, or spend a lot of money getting it.
1: It was interesting that by Screen 3, Marco did a, a really interesting adaptation of the, of this general sort of thing and came up with something just as good as or better for Dewey's theme. What?
2: The Scream Theory one is kind of a, is a nice evolution, and it has some more texture to it and as Dewey's characters evolved.
4: I'm going to talk to Chief Hartley and the local police. I'm going to just hang around. I want to make sure you're safe. If that's all right with you.
1: Yeah, I'd be that. It's funny, because David is, uh, in person, the, the wackiest person in the world, and uh, his character has this incredible sort of groundedness and... Uh, not David does, you know, in, in both the, the characters he plays and in, in real life, has this uh, very great genuineness. But uh, the, the fact that he plays this very simple guy Dewey is always amazing to me. Who is that guy?
4: No a friend. Deputy Dewey.
0: I can't imagine anyone else one. playing Dewey. He's
4: worried, our surrogate big brother.
1: It was brilliant casting. Unfortunately, it was done by David, not by us, because <laughs> <laughs> he came in and sort of announced who he wanted to play, and we never would have thought of him for that. Step seven, drop it.
4: Hello, Sydney. How are you? Hi. What do you want, Gail? Well, I was hoping I might get just a few words with you.
2: The reunion of Cottonwary and his accuser.
4: Here we are at Windsor
0: College. Where I love
1: the way uh, Leah plays this, this sort of uh, sycophanty, uh, you know, sleazy, um, just hoping to be accepted by the world guy with a huge ambition.
2: everything that's happened.
1: Acting like he's just so unimportant, but he's got to get what he wants.
2: forget just like you would like to get back on with my own life. He certainly believes he's owed.
1: <laughs> right. Bitch. Makes a great suspect too. Oh, Sydney share
4: with us please. <laughs> <laughs> I'll share with you. Okay, okay, okay. Right. <laughs> Did you get that on film? <laughs> yes, I got that old on film.
2: A revisit of the uh, hit that where she hits her from scream one. It <laughs> was very effective. Gail I that thought Gail is perhaps still employing some underhanded techniques as Cotton believes everything's on the up and up and discovers it's not so.
1: (laughs) I think that uh, Dwayne retort to uh, Did You Get That on Film by mimicking her voice was his own uh, improvisation. There's a couple of places in the film where he just comes up with great ad-lib lines or things like that that just uh, make it really punch.
2: There's two different versions of, of Cotton's uh, last lines there, one where he is, where he's kind of much more funny and kind of pleading and trying to remain nice, and then the one we kind of went with where he is, has a little more edge to him, which always seemed to be the better way to go with him um, in terms of keeping
0: him very much a strong suspect.
4: I was just doing my job.
0: And here we have the Dewey and Gale moment.
4: No matter who gets hurt in the process.
0: Hey. Where I think Dewey has just a brilliant Again. speech. Well, I don't
4: condone violence, but maybe you deserved it.
0: Page 32. Deputy Dewey...
2: This was always a very you know, delightful scene, and especially in the preview, and when we previewed the film as well, that the two characters obviously responded very well in the first film, and then this reunion of them was, especially with Dewey's disgruntledness that the fact that she's she slighted him in the book is quite uh, is really wonderful, and how he's just both hurt and in love with her at the same time. <laughs>
3: right.
4: Don't you think you're overreacting just a little bit? No. What I think is that you're a money-hungry, fame-seeking, and forgive me for saying mediocre, right? Now, who's got a cold storage shed where our heart should be. No offense intended.
3: Dewey, I never meant to
4: imply that- How do you know that my dim-witted inexperience isn't merely a subtle form of manipulation used to lower people's expectations, thereby enhancing my ability to effectively maneuver within any given situation?
1: <laughs> it's a classic right, Dewey yeah. moment. There's one in three also, right? It gives this long, long long-winded little outburst and just sort of captures your heart. But there's great, great interplay between these two. And, uh, you know, I think in in the course of this film, they certainly were falling in love in real life and uh, beginning to question whether they could ever fit together as a couple, I know. Um, It was never for certain at this point in their lives, but uh, I think by the end of the film, they sort of knew it for sure. But it was wonderful to watch and it certainly plays off in their performances.
2: Wow. You know that shot originally went up to the ghost up in the tower right. behind, but uh, I believe part of the reason to remove that was various reasons. But Dewey always in the in the minds of many other people, in terms of the audience as opposed to ourselves, was we're always very much a suspect, and even a even potentially the missing third partner from the first film. Um, although I think in our own minds, he was never a suspect. But I think in terms of removing the ghost
1: shot, he remains so. Right. I had a lot of fun with Steadicam in this film. I'm studying the nose.
3: Hi! No, I really mean that.
1: Hi. yeah that's become one of our favorite lines, I think.
0: Yeah, we say it constantly.
1: Hi, no, I really mean that. Hi.
0: What of wonderful lines in this movie?
1: This house is uh, in Los Angeles, is it not? I think it was out in Pasadena. No,
2: they
4: broke up again. Really? Mm -hmm. Sarah found out that Bailey slept with Gwen. She dumped him like two episodes ago. I wish she'd get her shit together. Mm, Hold on. Someone's calling.
0: Omega Beta Zeta. Hello. I think we'd look forever for a sorority house, didn't we, Mouse?
1: Yeah. Yeah, we wanted something that was very creepy and big and that would lend itself to uh, steady cam shots. (laughs) And this one was uh, laid out in such a way that you could uh, move the camera very nicely in it and, uh, you know, sort of see from room to room, which was important to me.
4: All right, all right, I'll call you back. Okay, Ted, you sound loaded. What's up? Who's Ted? Oh, I'm sorry, my bad. I thought you were someone else. That's
0: okay, I am. First time I'd ever heard that line, my bad, Nobody's here. which all the kids use now.
1: We're yeah, the uh, uh, Kevin's ear for uh, dialogue is is fantastic. Especially dialogue of, uh, you know, young teenagers or or people in their early 20s. That's too bad. Drink with your brain. That's our motto.
4: Who
3: are you calling for? we
1: guys had a lot of fun uh, Patrick and I uh, selecting uh, the things that would be on televisions in various scenes. This one we uh, ended up with uh certainly always have sort of things that are dire like, you know, fires and racing cars, but we ended up with Nosferatu, which was the early version of Dracula, one of the earliest horror films ever made.
0: Don't we hear a song here? Um, Don't we hear your daughter's song here somewhere, Wes? Just before. Just before we'd heard it, yeah. Yeah, oh,
1: she's flicking yeah. around the dial.
0: It's a song that comes through, it's playing in the background of the TV.
1: Yeah, my daughter Jessica Craven has her own band, and uh, she has a little cut in there, too.
0: But before that, it was um, not, the band wasn't called Jessica Craven as it is now. It's called, what was it called then, do you remember? Telstar. The
1: Tel- The Tellstars, which is, uh, I think it's a, a brand of uh, of Gibson guitar.
0: But now, of course, the band is called Jessica Craven.
4: Hello? Hello?
2: The uh, woman on the phone talking to Sarah Michelle Gellar here is uh, Selma Blair, who's in Cruel Intentions and a few other things like that.
0: Oh, that's Not right.
2: Here. I think this is one of the first things she did, is the phone voice.
0: I think that when Kevin had originally shot a screen test to be considered as a director for screen one I believe that he used Selma does that ring a bell to you
2: that may be true to Selma as Sydney yeah yeah I think that may yeah. be true
0: that'd be fun to see that I wonder if uh, what was the scene
2: that was the bathroom scene the what was it? That. yeah the bathroom scene and the ghost was actually wearing the mask from Halloween <laughs> can
4: you hear me now hello shit
2: This scene was always very interesting because in the original version of it, she goes all the way out to the street, sees uh, somebody playing basketball down the street and sees the party up the road and then, then comes back, whereas here she, she just really goes out to the porch and just goes back in. Oh, Jesus,
3: Donnie, you scared me. I'm sorry,
1: yeah, economy of movement. What are you doing here? I live here this was kind of fun, to uh, a staging thing to uh, get the timing right here. Um, yeah. When this girl leaves and the instant she does, the ghost makes a move just as... Uh, Sarah Michelle Gellar's uh, back is turned. Mm-hmm. Who's calling? Oh, here it goes.
2: Of course, there's the interesting thing is, how is he talking to her on the phone? Exactly. If you walk in the background and the, his arm isn't up speaking. Exactly. He's a
1: small tape recorder that's mm. hidden and in It his implies
2: club. there may be more than one. Mm. There was something we even debated about in in post-production about whether we should actually CG the, the ghost arm crooked up as if he's talking on the phone. <laughs>
0: it's the other ghost doing the talking. Oh. I guess we all know that that by now. They're in cahoots.
2: Her face here is great because she just looks like she just can't believe this is happening.
1: Yeah, it was a great, great mime. She goes from child to adult to a child and back to adult. This was a fun shot to stage.
2: So it was very effective seeing her back. When you're on back, she just feels so vulnerable as you're with her back to us and back and forth. At, at, at any second, a hand is going to enter the frame. And All right,
1: and then you have the woman on the screen and the television behind, uh, you know, having Nosferatu, uh moving behind her, too. So you have sort of that reflection though, to the roots of uh, this kind of film, which is fun.
2: This is very effective how you see the door so much on the left side of the frame, and you're like, uh-oh, he's got to be behind there, when, of course... It's the other side of the framework, yes. great mirroring of the, uh, of the scene in the first film with, where the ghost chases Sydney up the house but of course this ending with uh, not so positive result.
1: right I think we just kept shooting the, the staircases you know using the staircase on the first floor and the second floor to make this house seem impossibly high That being thrown over the railing, I know, Sarah Michelle, she kept saying, I do this all the time. Why am I so afraid? But it really terrified her to be thrown off onto a, there was a sort of a stunt mat just below. But uh, it was, we were up there quite, quite high mm-hmm. in
0: the air. She does all our stunts, of course, on Buffy. Right. Don't we
1: have uh, Matthew uh, walking through the background? Yeah, here?
0: let's find him.
2: He's wearing a blue shirt, is he not?
0: He's got one. There he
1: is. There he is with the white yeah, hair yeah, on the left frame. Yeah. frame He's walking in, through. That's Stu. He's dead, but somehow.
2: His that's his
1: evil twin. That's the only place he appears, right?
0: Yeah. Or because he and he and uh, Nev were dating at the time. Sorry. It's, working.
2: It's, working. it's interesting how here almost everybody's in blue. All the uh, suspicious types all have blue shirts on, except for Sid. That hurts. Empire Strikes Back.
4: Better story, improved effects. Not a sequel, part of a trilogy, completely planned. Yeah, I like those little furry things. The Ewoks, they blow. Hey. Uh, how you doing? <laughs> you twit's being nice to you? Painfully nice. I take it you will not be pledging Delta Lambda Zeta. <laughs> I
3: think
4: not. Crushed. Hmm. Hey, guys, something is up at Omega Beta Zeta. Police are everywhere. Hurry! <laughs>
0: What's this song, Pat?
2: It's Dear Lover. I think it's the Foo Fighters. I'm not positive Uh, about that, though. uh
0: Uh-huh.
2: Trick always to get as many songs in the party scene as possible in order to fulfill contractual obligations.
1: That's a good example of two sets tied together by action. Uh, One's in uh, Atlanta and one's in uh, Pasadena, but uh, if you match the police car action, then you just believe they're the same place.
0: Hey, who's that on the right?
4: Oh,
1: there's my girlfriend, Cornelia. Kiss. We'd just gotten off a plane and was totally exhausted and didn't know what I was doing to her. Gail, hi,
4: you're just getting here. It's not good. It's a single-victim sorority girl. So, I go. I've It's got very effective.
2: Lori uh, Metcalf always seeming to be more on top of things than Gail. Oh,
4: let
1: I mean, wasn't that sound guy? Was somebody uh, somebody's brother or something? It's Dan's brother. Rocky. Oh, Rocky. Rocky, who appears in Screen 3 also, is the guy with the message coming down the aisle in the uh, introduction to Courtney Cox. It
0: oh, yes. Rocky Aradanda.: it, Joel.
1: Yeah.
4: I have to be honest with you. I'm not cut out for this. I mean, I was brought here to do an interview. Now, faces this is Death 14. Do not
0: fuck with me.
1: Looking very suspicious
2: there. This is another moment of somebody looking suspicious. Jerry, you get the feeling that he's not totally on the up and up. Perhaps he's worried, or perhaps.
1: Oh, there's a a part of the light up there, too. (laughs) If you roll back, you can see actually the barn door of the light. This was a fun study cam shot. Very complex to stage and get it right, but. uh, works very nicely, I think. I like using depth uh, of frame where you can see outdoors and see people moving in the background. I think it's an early reaction to shooting in a lot of tiny sets uh, on stages where you couldn't do that.
4: What do you want? I want you. It's showtime. Then why don't you show your face, you fucking coward? My pleasure. Derek!
2: Now, is this Derek, of course? That was what? No, it's a question of the door closed. We last saw Derek outside. Was Derek All on right. the phone? Is it Derek? No. Is it Derek involved? Although Derek's suitably concerned here.
1: One of the things I have to laugh about is that the killer in, uh, in the Scream series is a little bit of a klutz. I mean, he does fall down or get hit by doors quite, <laughs> quite often.
2: I yeah. should assume it's because he can't see up the damn mask. That's true.
1: That's what the stunt guys tell us. Now,
0: This was odd that we had Jerry um, sliced. not odd, but we first time we see sort of someone injured off camera, right? We don't know what really happened here.
1: Yeah. That was to keep him as a suspect, I think.
2: You don't know if he's injured himself, if he's in cahoots. Right. And again, the fact that the the killer disappears, we stop seeing the killer, and then in walks Dewey.
3: Is everything okay?
1: That shot of the two girls, I think I improvised on the set and just uh, brought them back to be suspicious, you know. Originally, I think he was just going to look out to an empty door.
0: It's very effective. I mean, many people did think that they were the killers.
2: Very effective in terms of the, that there's four potential people in here who could all be in on mm-hmm. it, and here she is standing totally by herself. Everything's started again, and everything's come, come home to roost, and what's she going to do
1: about it? Right. Paranoia at an all-time high.
0: Thanks for your call. Now, oh, Wes, are you in the scene?
1: Oh, yeah, I'm afraid I am in terrible shape, but anyway. <laughs> As
2: Mickey crosses the hall, you can see you in the background.
1: I think just about the whole crew is yeah. in there, isn't there? Yeah, that are, uh, Those are all our,
0: that's our crew. It's our set yeah. dresser.
1: Uh, we probably Gaffer. shouldn't say the sack no. rest
0: But anyway, Wes, um, we <clears throat> added the scene uh, after the fact, did we not, to establish a closer relationship between Mickey and Sydney?
1: Right. Yeah, we went back and built the set and uh, did this to uh, make him seem a little bit more simpatico. But
2: also, to, and one of the things that Mickey does so successfully is, is very much point the, point the finger of blame.
0: Oh, it, and Derek. Back
2: at Derek. Yeah. And uh, based on Sidney's previous experience with romance, she, of course, is going to be looking in that direction.
0: Of course, Dewey's very suspicious here as well of Derek, is he not?
4: Derek could have been killed, you. Know? the same reason. But he wasn't. He's fine. He just
0: needs
4: to realize the 90s is no time to play hero. Why would anyone go back in that house anyway? went around to the back of the house and ran into sit there. It's when she told me the killer was inside.
0: So I went in to see.
4: Ah,
3: you're lucky. There's no nerve damage.
0: There's your assistant, Gina Wagner.
1: There's our key grip so on the wheelchair.
3: The house. Yeah,
0: they were all sag-carrying so, so, members.
3: Your Absolutely.
1: Right
4: <laughs> you're lucky he didn't kill you. Yeah, it's awfully convenient. said so what? Nothing. It's just a shame he got away so easily It's just a shame you got there too late Right after he disappeared
2: Looks all around Everybody suspicious of everybody
0: it is. Lots of blue Blue eyes, blue shirts If you look to in Wardrobe, I don't know how interesting this is to anyone. What I noticed kind of after the fact is that many, many, many people were in sage green. And I realized it was something that the costume designer, I guess, planned. But um, finally I realized we had a green movie. And you see Dewey's green coat? So if you just keep looking, you'll see a lot of light green, sage green.
4: This is, you
1: know, structurally in the scene, the plot of this scene is kind of interesting because we have this ongoing theme sort of series of clues of people's names and everything and then at a certain point we just completely dropped it and uh the movie sort of took off on its own and this part wasn't important at all
4: do you think someone's trying to duplicate
2: but it's interesting in terms of you know maybe it will be important maybe it won't be you know you walk down a certain road or these are things that are going to be key in fact they're not
1: right Jesus
4: Christ. what are you doing to keep sydney safe I got my two best to take. might
1: be worth, uh, you know, Marianne in the wardrobe department commenting on uh, Courtney's jacket, too, because uh, there's a thing in, in video called the moray effect where uh, if you have either checks or st- close stripes, uh, when they're seen in video, they sometimes just kind of go nuts on the screen, and that jacket, uh, in the editing room, especially on the editing machine, which uses a sort of degraded form of video, we call it the atomic jacket because it would just, like, sort of zap all over the place, those, those oh. s- stripes.
0: Strobe, yeah. Well, I guess they'll be seeing that when they're watching this DVD, right?
1: Well, hopefully the DVD is a little bit better quality. I don't know. But if you watch it on a lower quality VHS, perhaps you would.
0: Now, these two guys, um, the two detectives, um, we affectionately called the Stugatz brothers. And the guy on the left, um, when we get a little closer, I'll tell you about it. But his name is Phil Pavel. And uh, we first found him in an improv group that Wes's son, Jonathan Craven, directed. He was so funny that we just kept him in mind throughout the years. And... uh, brought him in on this me or anything.
1: this day I think it was raining also if I'm not mistaken there's a lot Light of rain. stills of us sitting around uh, looking terribly depressed while uh, the set was drenched the second
2: or third day of photography
0: that's right we yeah. all had umbrellas and of course they didn't I think that's why we put it under the tree
1: but uh, somehow it worked yeah. I think just uh, Peter lit it in such a way that he didn't realize that it was kind of a very very dark rainy day
0: It's amazing about rain, too. You often, if it's not pouring, you don't see it. There is Phil Pavel there on the left. Oh, missed him. We'll see him again.
3: Dewey, chief.
0: Hi. So I'm heading over to admissions to do
1: some... There's that jacket.
0: There's the strobe jacket. Just kind of strobing there.
1: Here to help Sid. Yeah, it is. We made the same stupid mistake with Dewey's... uh, Shirt in screen three at the very end Mm -hmm. scene, which uh, also goes nuts on screen. You'd think we'd learn, but...
0: Wardrobe will kill you, right,
2: Patrick? No (laughs) comment. I smile when (laughs) I catch the killer. Gail, hi. So who do you think... What about
4: Sydney's father? Has he been ruled
1: out... This scene I remember as being the worst example of... um, this this college was, uh, I think, because of some sort of weather phenomenon, was directly in the flight path of the Atlanta That's right. International yeah. Airport, and we had a plane like every thirty second. You wouldn't believe.
0: Oh, Courtney had a terrible strep throat. That's Courtney's family behind her there in that little scene. Her sister and her, I think, her nephews. But Courtney had a horrific strep throat to This day, but uh, still was there at seven a.m. and worked hard. Go
4: back to you. Derek, I think Sue so, will let me
0: Famous
2: singing thing. This is another great great thing about Mickey's whole purpose in so much of the movie, I think is very, uh, I guess, Iago-esque, that he's constantly pointing the finger at others, and uh, very much making sure that everybody keeps everybody else in mind as, a, as the prime suspect, and never really pointing the finger at himself.
1: Here's for your future directors, another uh, deep frame thing of having Sydney coming from all the way in the back. I always like to have that rather than somebody coming just from off frame. Also, you begin to see the division there between uh, Sydney and her boyfriend when he puts out the chair and she doesn't sit down. There's Phil. Now, the other uh, the other gentleman was uh, one of our chief uh, stuntmen. Yes, uh,
0: we've used him quite a bit. He's worked with us a lot. There's Dan Ardone on the right-hand frame. We'll show you again. Important to us.
1: In fact, that uh, stuntman was the guy who uh, did the stair fall for Billy in the uh, screen so that's one. That's right. I he did a lot yeah. of stunt, really good stunt work.
2: Didn't you cast him in, just so that we could see him and see him in the way that he's going to be uh, in his ultimate demise? Exactly. Later. Yeah.
1: yeah, his um, his end sort of involves a lot of stunt work, so I said, why not just cast a stunt guy? Don't
2: Which makes even those stunt things even more effective.
1: And he's a good actor.
2: Chris, his name is. Uh, Chris Doyle. Chris Doyle, oh, right. thank you. Isn't that what life is
4: made of? No, it worries me to
1: say. Now this, uh, for you young directors, have you ever. <laughs> shoot a scene like this we uh, you know the, the standard way is to pre-record his singing and then he's, he does this to playback and I decided well that would be uh, robbing it of a certain reality so we had him actually sing it but every single cut he was in a different key. So.
2: <laughs> yes ed- editorially that, that made it so that this scene was actually the hardest scene to cut in the entire film
1: did he loop um, this finally uh, he
2: looped part of it we ended up not using much of his loop at all it, it is actually Jerry and, and the key change we embrace and uh, But it was an incredibly tricky scene to do, mostly because we we cut out about 30 to 40 seconds of the song, and then and literally going from cut to cut, and then trying to get all the clapping in sync was uh, also very tricky. And we actually, when we did post-looping on the thing, we had a whole clap track of people just trying to clap in some kind of sync to what was going on behind them.
0: <laughs> oh my goodness. And of course, it was so hard for all the actors who auditioned for this role, because that's the scene they had to use. Yeah, it can be a little embarrassing. Oh, no, that's right. You know?
1: Yeah. Endless uh, audition scenes of
0: I Think I Love You.
1: People singing that.
0: Is this Sid's theme?
2: This is actually uh, a string arrangement of uh, Paul Buckmaster's that then leads into uh, the Collective Soul song.
4: Okay. Isn't that a big frat folk?
1: This was an interesting, uh, from the directing point, there was a uh, member of Patrick, there was one extra behind Sydney who uh, just was kind of out of the scene I don't know what her story was she had a bad day whatever but we uh, ended up having to cut a lot of the close-ups of Sydney out because this one girl just sat there yeah it was just sitting there not uh, you she know was not in,
2: involved in the scene and was really detracting from her performance because you were looking at this person who was you know in somebody else's
1: movie <laughs> yeah
0: keep that in mind
1: so that sometimes those little tiny things can really kill you so tell us
0: about this part you're getting great reviews for. Well,
2: I play this Tori spelling
1: Tori Spelling, a terrific sport about this. Uh, always, I always feel to her credit, she was willing to just kind of poke fun at herself here and take this role. She did a great job. Mm-hmm.
4: Sid, Blow,
1: this location was at UCLA also in Los Angeles.
0: So Oliver Agostini in the background, who is a good friend of mine. <laughs> who also is a SAG card-carrying person. Absolutely. Here we go.
1: Yeah, this got a big laugh. Huh? Oh,
0: this it. Is the hair, I think, for many reasons. But it's
2: interesting that originally the uh, stab scene was actually directed by Robert Rodriguez, and then that was uh, chosen to take it out.
1: Yes, we were made to take that out, I think, for legal reasons.
4: Uh, that's right. These guys did a great I'm job here. My dad, I accepted it. That's the way the cookie crumbles.
1: He does a great job of doing Skeet, which is a man. Totally. It's not
4: buried in a cemetery somewhere. My mom's dead and she's never...
1: It's fun also, as Kevin Williams has been sort of, uh, you know, doing a satire of his own writing or, or his own dialogue.
4: Ooh, I love scary movies. I'll wait for video. Yeah, okay, <laughs> let's get down to business.
1: The way I see it... This scene, to my recall, this is the interesting thing about it, was that uh, Jamie, uh, for some reason, had a terrible time getting his line straight. And we shot most of the day with his, and then we turned around on David, and David did all of his reactions and lines in two takes.
2: Yeah, Jamie's uh, whole performance was pieced together from probably about fourteen different shots, and uh, frequently from line to line to line to line. But because uh, we had such a long speech and so many passages, but he did a great job. And the end of the day, as it all pieces together, it's uh, all seamless.
4: Jamie's service wound conveniently missed every major vein and artery. So you think it's Derek? Not so fast. Let's assume the killer or urs has half a brain. He's not a Nick at Night rerun type of guy. This scene also,
1: we uh, I, I find that we all keep quoting lines from it uh, years later.
4: Who else do we got?
1: Like, moving on to.
2: Mickey, freaky Tarantino's
0: film student. <laughs> we help you guys do that, too.
4: But if he's a suspect, so am I. So, let's move on. Well, let's not move on. Maybe you are a suspect. Well, if I'm a suspect.
2: But again, this is a very effective scene of recapping all the suspects and then ultimately ending up with these two even suspecting each other. Right. And then deciding to move on from that.
4: Okay. Let's move on.
2: Let's move on. Hallie.
4: Two Sid's
2: now, Here we move on to hell.
4: Killer are white males. That's why it's, it's, sort of the rules, but it's not very really.
2: effective because Randy gives the you a reason why it could be anybody in the movie.
4: Killer. And there's always room for daughter.
2: She's sweet, Which essentially, she's if you've decided she's on who it is dead. or who it isn't,
1: you can argue out of it or, or you're into it. You know? Come on, Randy. These kids Of are course, the friends.
2: only person he doesn't mention is actually one of the people who's is actually is doing it.
4: How about Gail. A killer? Why not? Was well, she is vicious enough. She's an opportunist. Yeah. Isn't it conceivable she's planning her next book? That's what reporters do, Dewey. Do they stage the news. No, Gail's a lot of things, but Gail's not a killer. Listen, just because you're sweet on her. No, I'm not. Please, this is me talking, Randy. The unrequited love slave of Sidney Prescott. I know all about obsession. And pain? And you've got your love scar to prove, it. and so do you. And what's with that limp anyway? Because you were stabbed on the back. Severed nerve.
0: Look. <laughs> and that's how he we explained him. how he survived, right? Right there?
1: Right. Well, also, we, one. we had uh, a lot of different discussions about what the after effects would be for Dewey of, of his wounds from Scream 1. Right. So. <laughs> we, we were always doubtful whether we had it right medically.
4: What is it? I'm a little confused here. I mean, with your giving track record, why would you want to be here when the killer strikes again? I mean, granted, I, I should have read your book before I took this job, but I'm reading it now, and woo, I, I read what happened to your last cameraman. The guy got gutted. Now, me, I'm going to do what any rational human being would do, which is get the fuck out of here. First of all, he wasn't
1: gutted. It's uh, always the, um, interesting to have the African-American character who, uh, you know, is the sort of voice of sensibility who has seen it all and uh, says, you know, this is what somebody sensible would do. And hopefully you're kind of cutting off the audience because they're probably thinking the same thing.
2: It's a way of saying, yeah, yes, we know that somebody smart would actually just leave town. But in order so that we can have a movie, they have to stay.
1: <laughs> no. Actually, Dwayne's character does leave for quite a
2: while.
0: The story is monumental. Don't you want to be a part of that?
2: Suspiciously so. Mm-hmm.
4: I need you. I cannot do this without you. Good. Come on. Let's get some work done. Yeah, let's go get killed.
1: Introduction to we'll the second stage you know in the movie.
0: Now, Wes, you wrote this scene, really, didn't you? You sort of did a spin on it as far as the content of the show? The
1: yeah, I basically, I wrote it, and I think then Kevin did a polish on it. But, uh, uh, you know, again, I was trying to establish kind of the... Uh, the underlying form for the film, with uh, a second scene that would discuss kind of the place of uh, theater and acting in our lives, and and in, in a way, to to be frank, to uh, answer the critics of uh, of horror films in general that that seem to think that they're only uh, something bad or nonsensical or uh, you know beneath them, and and to try to point out that. Uh, you know, stage and, uh, and the portrayal of, of the darker side of the human uh, history is, has been with us since the Greeks, at least, and probably long, long before that. And it's an honorable thing and uh, an important thing. And it's a theme I've been think, throwing back at the critics of, uh, of the genre since uh, at least since was Grave's New Nightmare. This is David Warner, by the way, a wonderful, wonderful character actor who I've been a huge admirer of for, uh, for years and years and years.
4: She knew she was cursed. it was her fate, and she embraced it. None of us can avoid our fate, but as an artist,
1: you can honestly this also it. introduces uh sydney's kind I'm of a, a, you know the grand view of sydney's character as the cassandra the um okay. the character in greek uh dramaturgy that uh you know is um, is the seer the, the person that sees what's coming in the future and, and because it's an unpleasant thing uh, is generally uh, scorned by the society and uh, here's where she kind of uh, realizes she has to accept that role that's who she is
0: tina anderson
1: danda protege and again we're having fun here with all the sort of mechanics of theater and uh the kind of magic of it if you will
0: I believe we brought in a choreographer here named Adam Shankman who did all this uh, wonderful choreography and who's now directing his first movie The Wedding Planner with Jennifer Lopez
3: wow
0: Originally, I think Kevin had written kind of an Our Town type play, hadn't he?
2: Yeah, I think it was. It was almost at one point in one of the versions, Sid had a, even a Russian accent in some play huh. that, they, that they were doing, whether it be a Chekhov esque thing or something oh, like that.
0: Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then
2: uh, this—I mean, especially these moments here, being very dramatic about the, the destruction of everything and this blood-red veil and everything she's wearing—is just qu- visually quite spectacular.
1: Yeah, I think it, uh, Nev was uh, more beautiful than ever in this uh, in this moment here
4: safe
1: to speak the truth. A little piece of trivia, this uh, sort of fog coming out of the what was the orchestra pit in this theater. Uh, one point we heard this desperate yelling from inside and uh, all the stagehands were jumping down in there and <laughs> there was a guy who had become totally asphyxiated damn near died down there in the fog. It was actually very dangerous down there.
0: What was it, because of the dry ice?
1: Yeah, it's a... Uh, carbon dioxide, so it's uh, really not uh, that breathable.
0: And what happened is he dropped his mask and, of course, couldn't see to pick it up, and um, I think pretty much passed out.
1: Right, and then everybody that went down to try to, to get to him started uh, being affected, too.
0: So it was a really, really scary moment, and we had to call the ambulance. But he was fine.
1: So I think, uh, Patrick, you won't say it, but this is a really a, a sort of bravura editing here in the sequence here that really makes it work beautifully.
2: This is one of the most fun scenes to cut in the movie. Just uh, the glimpses of the ghost, uh, the the chaos and the madness that she's running through and the music and everything being very effective.
1: This is, uh, by the way, the uh, this particular piece of music was written by uh, Danny Elfin.
0: That's right.
2: Came in We I think believe we were on such a tight schedule in this show that while well, Marco Biltrami did most of the scoring chores, Danny came in and did this uh, Cassandra aria for us.
1: This business of uh, flames being suggested by uh, sort of cellophane being blown by fan, I, I saw in a Fellini film. <laughs> and I I think for 20 years I'd always wanted to put it in a movie and finally found a place I could do it. Always the theme in this kind of uh, situation of the person that sees the future uh, being thought of as insane. Did very similar things uh, with uh, Nancy in Nightmare on Elm Street uh, profit without honor in her own country.
4: Sid, your escort has arrived. Derek, how long have you been here? I just got here. Is
2: everything... The entrance of Derek suspiciously at the moment that the ghost had disappeared.
4: You get me instead. What happened?
1: Derek, don't Yes, this is beautifully acted by Neb too. It's not the answer, Sid. Yeah, well, I think it is. There's a theme that I runs throughout all the screens. Sidney's so uh, sort of being torn between being alone and safe, and well, but possibly, uh, you know, moving towards madness and isolation, or no. coming out into human society and, uh, you know, taking her rightful place among other people, but being endangered by not so knowing simple. who the killer is among those people.
4: Understanding
2: constantly running the risk of betrayal which uh, always seems to weigh very heavily on the character's mind especially throughout this film
1: right right yeah and and starting all the way back in Scream 1 I think you know if you can talk about the positive sides of this film it does deal with that whole very difficult thing that we all go through of uh, you know fighting between trusting people and uh, not wanting to get hurt
4: I'll have to call you back that doesn't explain Sidney's attack
1: suspicious use of a knife these are all things that, uh, you know, as a director, you just put in in the background to uh, keep that suspiciousness going with all the characters. What? This also, as a director, was an uh, interesting scene because um, it obviously ends up to be a scary scene, and very, very rarely do you see in a scary movie things like this happening in broad daylight. And, and this particularly, we chose to set it in the middle of the uh, quad of the, of the school, where you can see in all directions, and yet... To try to pull off the idea of a killer who uh, might jump out at any moment was really quite tricky.
2: It probably remains one of the most effective killing scenes in the entire Scream series just because it is so counter to how any of them should work for the very reason that it is in broad daylight in the middle of a wide open space yet
1: very effectively scary.
4: Maybe we can figure out who's next.
1: Marianne, I think you pointed out this is one of the few scenes uh, where somebody smokes. And
0: <laughs> it's where Courtney smokes,
1: yeah. <laughs> I uh, Actually, uh, folks, I personally hate smoking, so I don't put it in any of my films, uh, or very, very rarely, but uh, Courtney does.
0: With the character of Gail, she, uh, she could get away with it.
4: Gail's not here. I'm not into-
2: It's him. Who? The killer. Roger Jackson is the continual killer voice, doing a very effective
1: job. Did Roger write that line about? Uh, I think he did, didn't he? Did you ever feel the knife go through the flesh and scrape the bone? I believe it is.
0: Yeah, and I see that little flag pin on Dewey. He also wore that in Scream Three.
1: Uh, yes, that was uh, that's part of his costume, the American flag.
0: It's
1: actually worn by many uh, policemen. At all times. Yeah, yeah, just as a symbol of... I think it started in the 60s, you know, when on the whole Vietnam, uh, whose side are you on sort of thing. What's your favorite
4: scary movie? Showgirls. Absolutely frightening.
2: It's again the uh, theme of phone as killer. And phone everywhere. <laughs> you know, there's the rabid paranoia that somewhere behind you there is someone who is trying to get you.
1: Coming up behind the character, that's always, uh, you know, the moment when somebody's supposed to get jumped. And they do, but it's not the killer. This was, a. I remember, a swelteringly hot day. I remember that guy that was wearing that, uh, the guy who caught the football was, like, absolutely dying inside that jacket.
3: Who's this? Gale Weathers... Because he had to be in
2: all-black, so you'd think that perhaps it's for those first right. few frames that it was the killer
1: coming through.
4: Okay. He's got to be around here someplace.
1: Now there's a guy with a phone way deep background. Again, use of uh, deep background as a...
4: White male suspect, 9
1: As a way of uh, celebrating the depth that you have in your frame. On the, back. And the second they turn towards him, he of course Why walks off.
4: You here, You'll never be the man.
1: Well, this is great, I think great, right? On oh. the part of Kevin, you know this uh, kind of the parallel of talking to somebody as a victim, potential victim, but also as an actor.
4: Get the hey, shit. Sorry, hey, guy, dead boy. Oh yeah? Well, let's redirect the moment, Mister. I'm so original, huh?
1: Here, Dewey, I think, took a flying on this kid and just about knocked him out. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that was part—definitely not part of the deal. But
0: it was not stunt man. Kid
1: went along with it. Can I
2: help you? It was very real and convincing because of it.
0: <laughs> Where's your innovation, huh?
4: Why copycat two high school loser-ass dickheads?
1: And here again, you show uh, Randy's—you uh, know—you just cheat the uh, the van in there. You just barely see a little bit of it, but basically, you show him surrounded by nothing, so that the audience is. Uh, tricked into thinking that nobody can possibly get him out there in the middle of nowhere.
2: And that he's completely safe.
1: Right. So you have to put him right against left frame and uh, not show that van. Boom. But there it is.
2: And of course, loud, the loud music's coming up immediately to totally wipe out the sounds that the van is rocking, and uh, you better not come knocking.
0: Of course, this is the moment where I think many of our fans uh, got a little upset. The killing of Randy... People were, I uh, think, devastated about that.
1: Yeah, I mean, a lot of people just couldn't believe that we killed Randy, and uh, it was a calculated risk. I mean, you have to show at a certain point that uh, your central characters are vulnerable. But um, Randy, uh, Jamie Kennedy's character, was so popular that uh, I think some people never quite forgave us.
2: It's interesting that the last shot you see, of course, is of the killer's shoes walking off, and everybody has those killer boots. There comes uh, Joel back in. You can see the boots that varies the same make and match as the killer. Later, we'll see Cotton shoes, and Cotton, of course, wearing the same shoes as the killer. Everybody back to uh, Joseph Whip, and uh, I think in the first scream, mm-hmm. everybody has those killer boots.
1: Yeah. Well, it was a problem we faced. Uh, you know, Kevin's script uh, just was a mask killer and just talked about the killer invisible behind the mask. But, uh, of course, when you actually show a character, you can see everything but the mask. You can tell who they are, whether boy or girl, what size they are, and everything else. So we had to devise this whole costume that covered every square foot and uh, finished up with the boots that then we realized everybody that was going to be a suspect had to wear. So one of the themes of the Scream wardrobe is that everybody wears big black shoes.
0: And even Emily Mortimer wore big black shoes in uh, Scream 3. Right. In the bathroom scene.
2: Not quite as big as everybody else's.
0: No, they were supposed to be. That's where they get you. Someone, you give the order for the ghost boot, but somehow dainty ghost boots show up. He's, he's here. Get away from the computer. Sid is probably just a sick joke. I see your
2: screen, please. Wait right here. <laughs> Leave her alone. Leave her alone by the side, next to an open doorway. Never ever do that. No promotion for him.
4: <gasps> <gasps> Send you okay.
0: Cotton. Can we talk for a sec? It's great. This is Liev's choice of wearing the uh college sweatshirt.
1: Alright, yeah, he was very, very into uh, selecting all of his wardrobe as New Man.
0: The Wildcats, right? He really, he just wanted to, he just he just thought his character would have done anything to sort of fit into the campus. What? Yeah, he, what he he, uh, all, he's a wonderful actor and, and thinks about every detail.
1: Yeah, very much of a sort of Dustin Hoffman-ish uh, method actor.
0: hmm Everything matters.
1: Which brings me to my point. Who calls me out of the blue? The Diane Sawyer.
2: And that's great. That kind of deep focus background, as you see, uh, Richards, the detective, walk by in the background. As Sydney is in potential very severe jeopardy, right around the corner. And as the camera pushes in, you just kind of lose track of the rest of the place, and she is completely cornered.
1: Love has this great uh, ability too to be talking reasonably and then have this flash of like rage come out that makes you think, "Oh my God, this guy is a killer." Mm. It's
4: Diane Sawyer. Hello.
1: (laughs) Just that slightly threatening, you know, knock on her head, and never doing the perfect reaction of, watch those hands, buddy.
0: Right. So much taller than she is, so big. Between the movie and the book, people know the truth.
2: That look.
1: Our lives. lives? There's been enough exposure. Why would you
2: want any more? Why? Oh, I I don't know, Sydney. And that look as she she runs off, as and you're not going anywhere. I'm not done with you yet. Right.
1: You dragged my name through the mud.
2: And there's his shoes.
4: Diane to maybe get my
0: side of, the of course,
2: sword. the killer was wearing black jeans, and he's wearing blue. Uh,
1: unreasonable that request, Do you, honestly?
0: They were a little bloody, from Randy.
2: Of course, he's not the killer.
0: So all well, I know.
1: <laughs> you're sorry.
4: I bet you're real sorry. Sydney.
1: Liev is a, a huge admirer and actually a friend of Dustin Hoffman. I always think that there's, there's certain Dustin Hoffmanisms that uh, have rubbed off on him. There's a lot of, uh, I think, uh, sort of echoes of uh, Hoffman. Inspired
0: by Dustin.
4: Yeah. Not you killed him. He's dead. Remember? Run it by me one more time, will you? Why did you attack Sidney Prescott?
2: Remember the original version of this scene? That uh, they were actually only talking about harassment and the fact that he had been harassing Sidney, and they had seemed to have forgotten the fact that. Randy had just been murdered. That's right. And uh, Cotton had even had a knife, and it was very important to go back. And actually, Wes had spotted this when we were cutting that. Oh, my God. Nobody's talking about what actually has just happened, which is Randy's death. So the fact that, that we cut around the fact that Cotton had a knife and then changed the lines to nobody's talking about homicide.
1: Right. The uh, Shooting a little fast and, uh, you know, in the process of uh, having the script pages sometimes being written while you're shooting, you have to fix some of those things in the editing room. No.
0: Yeah, we were definitely writing it as we were shooting Scream 2. I think we had the first 30 pages, didn't we?
1: We did. I mean, one of the problems was the whole security thing. This is where it really hit the uh, fan. And um, the first 30 pages originally, when they came in from Kevin, uh, appeared almost instantly on the Internet. And we sort of had to fall back and start changing uh, parts of the plot and being much more careful. So uh, the process of writing became much more slow. Also, Kevin was... uh, becoming hugely um, busy. He was doing Dawson's Creek at the same time that we we're doing this picture uh, the television series. So uh, his attention was divided and uh, he was just kind of doing these two uh, impossible things at the same time.
4: Rights and privileges accorded to every innocent citizen in this country.
1: That's a great look, I think, from uh, Louis Arquette there.
4: Now, is there, is there some problem with the word innocent? I know, it's a big one, Chief.
1: Just a, as a fun aside, there's um, photographs like these on our set. Uh, we have a, a first assistant who's worked on all the screams, Nick Mastandrea, who will go around with the prop people and take Polaroids of people and then paste their heads on <laughs> photographs in the background. I'm always looking to see if I can catch one. But quite often you'll be in the middle of directing a scene and look over and see like, Nick's head on a policeman <laughs> in, a, in a photograph on the set. Can't
4: you kill
0: Don't do anything stupid, Cotton.
4: Gail, you were so instrumental in my freedom. You're not having character doubts now, are you?
2: Cotton playing that last moment very suspicious. Sydney,
4: if you change your mind. Come on, take a Sorry about that. What a creep. They're gonna take you somewhere safe, Sid. Yeah? Where's that? I don't
1: know, but I'll be there with you. Kind of had fun in this, uh, in directing, just staging, uh, you know, people drifting through frame and giving each other significant looks and uh, without lines. Some of the things that you do as a director that, you know, aren't written in the script, but just uh, help build the tension of the scene. Who's
4: doing this, Dewey? I mean, if not Cotton, then who? I don't know, Sid, but I'll find him. Any leads, Gail? Do you think the killer will come after you?
3: How does it feel to be on the other side of the news? Just
4: cut. Cut! Hey, good. Hey. No, are you, good. Are you still it? a suspect? It's all been a huge misunderstanding. Cotton, have you been officially released? Gail, hang on one second. How about a photo? No? <sighs> you look great. How are you holding up, Gail? sorry about ah. With the events must be scary internet. knowing somebody's out there waiting and watching, enjoying all this. How does that make you look, feel? Look, local woman, I know that you hold me up as your career template, and it gives you some sort of... Charged.
2: Wasn't this scene one of the uh, worst affected by the uh, air travel? Yes,
1: this was, uh, was, was one of those deafening afternoons where I was just tearing my hair out because uh, there were so many jets going right directly overhead.
2: I think the whole thing with uh, Dewey and Gale had to be looped, but they did an r- incredibly effective job for such an emotional scene. An scene to you.
1: This is another, uh, I think, interesting improv. Uh, see, you. Want to see you wouldn't want to be... <laughs> which Dwayne threw in.
0: Isn't there something funny? Standard. Like, didn't the taxi driver have a neck brace?
1: The
2: taxi driver, yeah, has a neck brace, hoping that his head doesn't get cut off or something.
0: Is that your idea, Wes?
1: No, but I did approve it, and I, you never forgave me.
0: But then you can't even see it. What bad. was I thinking? I feel really bad. This is the moment where there's a bit of a thaw. I'm doing now. Towards Gail.
1: Yeah, and the first time that she actually uh, confesses that uh, she might have done something a little bit wrong.
0: Right.
4: Brilliant, Gale Weather's performance.
0: There are no cameras here. I just want to find this fucker. I really do. (laughs) He loves her so much.
1: Could I give you a
4: hand? What's in here? Just some crowd footage that Joel shot.
2: This is another use of the uh, broken arrow cue.
4: If the killer really is watching and relishing every minute, then he'd be here on these tapes, right? At each crime scene. It's worth a look. worth
1: a look. We actually had somebody out there trying to frighten the pigeons, so the, <laughs> that little citizen cane moment.
2: One of the things in so many of Wes's films is the use of birds, as the kind of harbingers of doom. Whenever you see them start to fly and flutter, you know there's generally going to be trouble very shortly afterwards.
0: Video archive.
1: We do a big jump on location from uh, Atlanta, this scene, this part of the scene, to UCLA when we go into the auditorium.
0: It took them a while to get there, huh?
2: (laughs) Boom, there they are.
0: Day to night. Now we're getting somewhere.
2: Perfect.
1: We wanted a really big room, and uh, they didn't have anything quite that big at this uh, small college, so we jumped to UCLA for this sequence. This sequence, uh, to me, always has a certain poignancy, because um, uh, without getting too personal about David's life, they were uh, he was going through a death in the family of somebody very close to him, and uh, this, I think, is part of uh, where the sort of love between uh, Courtney and himself uh, really came, came through. I, I just uh, saw these two together a, a lot during this very difficult period for David, and uh, I, I, that was the first time I realized that uh, they had something that was very, very strong, and uh, Good for both of them, in the you know, in the darkest hour. And at the same time, they would be coming down and doing this sort of comedy love scene, and uh, David was able to do both things at the same time. It was really a tribute to him too, as an actor.
4: You're cute when you're angry. I
1: was being rude. I'm sorry. Like, I never meant to hurt you. Hey.
3: Really?
1: No. I'm the one sorry. This uh, was These things that appear on the uh, video screens um, that are coming up, uh, Patrick, was very tricky, wasn't it? Because we had a shoot to shoot the scene before we had a lot of these things. So we were uh, running around trying to get them ready to have on the monitors. Um, and put them in sort of insert shots uh, because we, we didn't have them at the time.
3: I should be studying. You know I gotta buy
2: them. Yeah. Dewey. I believe there was only really certain, the certain shots of actually uh, Dewey and Gale, the t- shots that are actually tied into them were the only things that were shot at the time and then we went back and shot just the inserts of the actual other monitors, the, the shots that then tie in the CC moment, which was actually done and shot, I think, much after this. Originally they looked all around the all around the room, there was multiple monitors turning on, two or three or something like that. And then the trick was to actually single down to the one
1: or the two, rather. Coming up with an interesting shot here—a little handheld shot inside the, the booth where you have like three people: myself, and a, a gaffer, and the DP. And we do a 360, and <laughs> we we had to sort of scramble and stay out of the shot.
0: As I recall, this was an extremely long day. I think that was sort of like in the 13th, 14th hour.
4: No one there!
1: Part of the grand theme of Dewey falling down things.
2: And then using the phone as a weapon. This is probably one of the most effective score pieces, this huge action cue that then takes you into the great, the great silence of the, uh, the sound booth.
1: And then we jump to our third set, our third location. This was on stage. This was another sequence that was written, uh, I think, quite differently or at least quite sketchily and, and basically one of those little make it scary things, so we uh, figured out... Sort of between myself and Peter Deming, figure out the choreography of the camera moves and played it as a um, a scene, uh, sort of dodging around these big sound barriers that they have in sound studios. <laughs>
2: I think this was one of the last scenes shot in this film, and it was it turned out to be one of the most effective, uh, scary scenes in the film. With all the near-misses and, uh, and the idea of being trapped in a place where somebody can't hear you.
1: Right. It's fun, again, using this wide format. You get to um, use the frame in interesting ways of... Uh being able to include much more action, deep background on one side and close-up on the other side, uh, makes it really fun to play with. Fuck! That was uh, directorially interesting. How do you show that there's no lock on the door? I mean, you can't point and say, hmm, no lock. <laughs> so I you always just hope the audience will understand what she's swearing about.
2: Her reaction is so effective, I, I think you completely understand
1: <laughs> I think Dewey uses his hand here his right hand is sort of a, a, a fake gun you know uh, which I think is kind of fun because he's it shows a certain courage and, and the instinct as a cop is to have a gun but he doesn't have it because he's not officially a cop anymore
0: part of it is his hand is supposed to be sort of paralyzed too well it is yeah Yeah, from the injuries from Scream What? right
1: yeah
2: It's very effective, the fact that you don't hear Gail scream. So the music kind of screams for her.
1: Yeah, we tried it both ways in the editing room, didn't we? Yeah,
2: yeah we did. Yeah, we had her scream, and then it, it just seemed more effective that, that she's mute and powerless to help.
1: Blade oh, wishes there, oh. Patrick. <laughs>
2: very effective timing on that.
0: Good swipes.
2: He's swiping it, you hear it. Kind of waiting for him to pick up the movieola and try and throw it through the glass. Yeah. It was
1: too heavy. It's funny, all these scenes, uh, uh, Courtney was always so afraid she didn't know how to do it. You know, I, I don't know, I can't be that afraid. <laughs> she does this incredible job. We are back at Agnes Scott. still playing this sort of suspicious boyfriend. Poor Jerry never gets uh, any trust. And um, he plays it as an actor. He always plays it uh, so you don't quite believe that he's reliable. And yet when you look back at it a second time and you know that he is, then it's believable too. So it's a nice splitting of the hair.
4: When this is all over, I'll still be here.
2: Which is somehow he makes it sound almost like a threat. Yeah, almost like a stalker. <laughs> she kisses him with it, you think, just the total trying to figure out, is it him or not? And in the deep background there you see a figure moving in the background. Some shadowed caped.
1: Marianne, this was the night that it was uh, 96 degrees, wasn't it? Like 3 in the morning?
0: 106, I think.
1: Or 106, it was so incredibly odd. It doesn't show on screen, it's an amazing thing. But... Not
0: at all, no.
3: You! Prepare to die. You gave up your letters.
2: The first part of that you in the you prepare to die was actually done by Rogers for cheating our part in order to make you think that maybe, just maybe, this is the killer. Oh,
0: really? <laughs> I didn't know that.
2: Yeah, Rogers says you and then the actual performer says prepare to die.
0: There's the gals. I was in the
1: Oh, this is Doctor John, isn't it? Yeah, this is actually uh, I think
2: the John Spencer band doing uh, the Doctor John. Song. Oh, that's how it is.
4: Yeah.
1: We just told everybody to go kind of crazy here. It was interesting, Porsche did, It was really scary. And that uh, fraternity brother is in all of the films, I think. Also, as a
0: uh, security guard, side carrying member.
2: It's very effective. You just come up here and you just wait. So- Richards and Andrews, I guess, uh, who Kevin named after the two are two Miramax executives, uh, Richard Potter and Andrew Rona.
0: Oh, I didn't know that either.
2: (laughs) Yeah, so then he then killed them. (laughs) Poor Richard and Andrew.
1: Poor Chris did a great job. (laughs) He really sold this. is
2: really affected the fact that they are completely trapped in this place that they can't get out of
1: yeah and also just even that shows how strong the windows are because if somebody smashed their head against it and it doesn't break you know she can't get out
2: and again in a certain way that it, it probably uh, plays in their whole notion of theater west that, that they are observers who are helpless you know to watch this thing being staged for them
1: in front of them the death of their two protectors
0: I think that was the last shot of the movie the cop Phil Favell cop falling on the ground
1: oh that's right we shot in a parking lot someplace didn't we yeah yeah it's a very hairy moment this is Chris earning his money for sure
0: exactly this is why we used a stuntman isn't it yes slash actor so that we could totally believe it yeah and see his face amazing
1: <laughs> that was a dummy however
2: I believe it wasn't that pipe originally supposed to go through his back but when you did the shot, it actually went through his head. That's so. right,
0: through the dummy's head.
2: <laughs> so it was like oh, a... <laughs> oh, you a little worried true. if Might we were well
0: going to be... get away with that one.
2: Best to just go with it. And the MPA embraced it.
0: Thank you. Thank so... you.
1: This was an interesting thing of kind of adding to uh, a great you know, setup that Kevin wrote um, of the girl being trapped in the car. And uh, at, at some point, I think she just kicked the window and got out, but uh, decided to really milk it and have her have to crawl through the screen and go past the actual body of the killer. It turned out to be just a wonderfully uh, scary situation to milk. And sometimes the most effective things in this kind of film are things that... Uh, don't even have lines, you know, This, just the fact that uh, Sid has to crawl past this guy and you're not sure because of the mask whether he's really out or whether he's faking it. It's also a tribute to Nev as an athlete that she was able to get through this little opening so gracefully.
2: And just totally vulnerable. As you see her go through, her stomach exposed and everything like that, you just know that at any second this killer's going to lunge up and just tear in half. And this side of the unfortunate uh, Richards on the window.
1: Went back and shot these uh, Mm close-ups to really emphasize the intimacy of this one passage here.
2: And I think this this was also a thought, you know, is she going to try and take the mask off or not? If she's in that close proximity, she'd try and see who it was. Right. Eh, Maybe not. And of course, with the sound of a truck horn inside the small Chevrolet. Mm -hmm. (laughs) But it's good and loud, and that's the important thing. (laughs)
1: Yeah, the important element here is uh, the roommate, uh, you know, doing a great job acting as a foil of reflecting all the terror that Sydney refuses to show.
2: I'm very much being the audience participant of, oh my God, don't do that.
1: Of course, everybody expects or knows at a certain point this guy's going to grab her or get her, but then he doesn't. So there's this sort of false release that she's out and everybody's safe, but then the door's jammed and she can't get her roommate out, so now she has to encourage her to crawl out to and you're just sure that this is it. Well, now it's going to be it.
2: But you can't have it with, with Hallie essentially taking the role of the audience. It's even more effective. It's like, fine, you got to watch the hero do it. Now you have to do it too.
0: Elise Neal. Now a big TV star.
2: Hallie's her character name. We in uh, editorial frequently only know them by their <laughs> character name.
0: She really hurt her knee there. Major bruise coming out of there.
3: Come on, let's go.
4: let's go. Allie. What? I want to know who it is. Oh, no. Come on, sit. Come on, please. Let's back. just go. Look, look. Stupid people go back, okay? Smart people
1: So now here's where you trick the audience because you think, oh, fine. They're gone. They're out. We can relax and then... Yeah, Sydney says the impossible. impossible. No, you're not going to go back, and you can hear everybody in the audience saying you're crazy. Don't do it. Sit, come back,
4: Sid. Sid, come back.
1: This is the final, the biggest use of the killer that you're sure is someplace, and when you go there, he's not. And of course, you have to leave room in the cutting for him to have gotten out of there and gone over the wall or whatever he did.
2: Oh, shit. You also see that the what? Richard's gun is gone if you look carefully
1: which was seen so clearly
2: on the windshield before. But it will show up later. Oops. Originally in the cut, he just came out and stabbed her once, and so off-screen, we had him stab her four more times.
1: Well, I remember uh, feeling like uh, the build-up to the killing was so big that uh, just one stab was kind of anticlimactical, so... uh, we did it off-screen and it worked without being too explicit, too, huh?
4: Gail! No, Gail, no, 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 no. This isn't what it looks like. I found Dewey. I tried to help him. I... No, 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 Gail, wait, Gail! Gail, wait, Gail! Shit.
1: back to uh, exterior UCLA, actually. It's
4: right in the middle of story. I've got your goddamn
1: story! This is very tricky. I remember uh, we, we had big debates about whether we were going to show her here or not, right? Uh,
0: That's right. But we But I think we hadn't seen her for so long we needed to put her back in. I think some people at that point might have figured it out. I don't know.
2: I think the biggest thing is why else are we showing her? Right.
0: Exactly. It's fine. As there are two, It's fine.
2: Well, and it's also effective that, that Cotton is, of course, and the entire ending becomes the biggest wild card. That's right. Who is he, what is he doing, and how is he originally involved? I think in the original ending of the script, Cotton was actually... The killer. Uh, we, and it, well, he actually turned around, and even though he wasn't, I don't think he was in on it with the other two, but he turned around, and then then he and Sydney have a knife fight at the end, and they both die. I think the last shot is of them both lying there in the theater dead. <laughs> that's right. That's right. The first script. And Dewey was dead. Everybody was dead.
0: The first script, it was actually Hallie and Derek. Mickey were lovers? Hallie and Derek were lovers, right?
2: I believe so. Oh, yeah, that's the one Hallie that got Man. out on the internet. Yeah.
0: So we rewrote the whole thing. Go, go, go. Hallie and Derek, that's right.
2: the reprise of Danny Elfman's uh, Cassandra area from before before we go back into the Markable Charming School
0: our lovely production designer Bob Zimbicki who designed this set and of course Bruce Miller having done Scream 1 and Scream 3 and Music of the Heart for us
2: Great, kind of the springing of the trap, each piece coming down. Where do you go? Where do you hide?
0: Great set.
1: Yeah, the wall was, wasn't really that heavy, so we had a. I put, had the guy put an air uh, pipe along the bottom there, so when it came down, we blew a uh, full earth dust out, so it looked like really massive.
0: Originally, this was, a, uh, this was an exterior scene, wasn't it, Mouse?
1: Yeah, the scene is originally, uh, it was we could discover the, um, the boyfriend tied to a tree uh, in the backyard of the uh, sorority house. For what we didn't naked. know how to,
0: right, <laughs> naked. Because I guess traditionally, this, whatever it's called, do you remember, Patrick?
1: The hazing or whatever they do? This hazing thing
0: yeah. is done naked. But we didn't think we could show that.
1: Cooler heads prevailed. <laughs> but
0: what, at that point, we didn't know how to get then Derek to the stage, right? So we rewrote it to have the actual Derek tied up at the stage.
1: Yeah, I think a, a, a earlier versions it didn't take place at the stage at all. And uh, I felt since we had established this theme of the stage, uh, beginning with the movie theater, and then that's right the drama of, in the midsection that we needed to come back here for the finale. So that uh, we had, we kept the theme uh, with its three part uh, structure. This is one of the few places where uh, the ghost speaks behind the mask, right? Mm hmm.
2: And then you hear the change of the voice, and then you get a chance to clue in before the actual reveal of who's been missing and who is it. And it's a character we haven't seen for a long time in the film. What
4: the fuck? Since Derek here. But
2: because you've seen all the killings, you've actually seen him a lot.
4: I've been on my own all fucking night. Thanks a lot, partner. You motherfucker!
2: This is a very clever thing of of having Mickey try to implicate Derek, and playing totally on Sid's fear from the whole Billy and Stew fiasco.
1: Yeah, it makes it just as his final appearance even crueler than ever before. And it's kind okay, of, Derek? It's, it's kind of the um, the theme in the Scream series, also people messing with Sid's mind a lot. You know, whether she's crazy, whether she knows who she can trust or not.
4: Boyfriend killer. Boyfriend killer. And that sort
1: of vulnerability that has come from her being so featured in the uh, in the media too—that everybody knows her, her secrets and her
4: vulnerabilities—and
2: her absolute paranoia about being betrayed, fear of
4: betrayal—that
2: paralyzes her here.
1: Probably put a little bit too much floors earth in that shot from behind. <laughs> I think
0: we had to rush and cover the hole because it looked a little...
2: Yeah, that was actually augmented in uh, post-production and uh, because it, the original uh, hole looked like paper and things coming out of Derek's stomach. So we actually augmented that so you actually saw a little blood beginning to flow.
0: Right, that's right. And then and then having our hand rush over it. I don't know if normally you would just put your hand right over well, it. You want to stop Gaving the bleeding. Oh, okay, okay.
2: You should really deal
4: with your trust issues Good soon. thinking I mean poor Derek He's completely innocent He's such a nice boy too He's bright
2: and funny If you think about it This whole thing that Mickey does to her Is what drives her into isolation and in Scream therapy. Oh yeah Is that he completely Fucks with her brain And victimizes her
4: Billy was a sick fuck just like you Billy was a sick fuck who tried to get away with it. Mickey is a sick fuck who wants to get caught. Yeah! See, I've got my whole defense planned out. I'm gonna blame the movies. It's pretty cool, huh? It hasn't been done before. You see, this? it's just the beginning, a prelude to the trial. That's where the real fun is, because these days it's all about the trial. Can't you see it? The effects of cinema violence on society. I'll get Dershowitz...
1: This scene, I think, and the wording of the scene were rewritten... Many, many, many times by uh, in conference meetings with all of us, I think, insofar as what his his plan was, his plot was, and uh, you know what we were basically saying to the uh, to the critics of horror films, and also uh, just uh, you know whether everything that he did was believable insofar as um, you know where he was at any given time. Was it possible for him to to have done all the killings, and and then with the final revelation that he has a partner? Was it possible for both of them to have done it? And were they? Was it conceivable they could have been to those spots? I fucking killed him. piece of shit!
0: She's a good fighter, Nev, isn't she?
1: And she's a great fighter. Yeah, she's very athletic. You know, as we've said before, she's a long, long time dancer, and she really can move. There's that knife swing again. Hey, yeah, you pulled it out of a sheath.
4: The Hamilton thing, God. <laughs> no, no, it's nice. I like it. Now <laughs> who's doing that? Could that be the mystery guest waiting in the wings? Told you I had a partner, Sid. surprise cameo just for you.
3: Gail.
1: It's kind of a fun misdirection here.
4: Mrs. Loomis. What? Billy's
0: mother. Spice twist, huh?
1: Patrick, that's your favorite line, isn't
2: it? Billy's mother, yes, there it is. <laughs> Said with all its glory.
0: We say that a lot too, don't we, Patrick? Yes, we do. One of those lines that we just keep saying.
4: It's called a makeover. You should try it. Look a little tired yourself there, Gail.
0: It
2: was really important throughout the whole film that you never actually see Sydney and uh, Mrs. Loomis meet until this moment.
1: Right.
0: Exactly, because, of course, she knew Mrs. Loomis well.
2: And she would recognize her, so that was uh, where they're very cleverly kept apart, even though they're in the same space frequently.
4: Serial killers in the country today, so Mickey here was quite fine. Definitely one on the way up.
1: And I think uh, part of this internet uh, discussion here comes from our recent experience with the internet, uh, putting our script pages onto the uh, on the screens of a million of our uh, would-be audience members.
3: There's not going to be a trial. <laughs> <laughs>
1: great luck here that he gives uh...
2: I think originally uh, again Mickey was only shot once and then it was discovered that he, him being such a villain that uh, I think it just has suggested that we uh, shoot him a couple more times have
0: more fun with it
2: uh, there's less bullet holes but uh, it's certainly very effective
4: Mickey well, was a good boy but my god that whole blame the movies motive did you buy that for one second poor boy was completely out of his mind and you're not no
1: I'm very sane. <laughs> that, was, that was actually Tim, wasn't it, uh, that was getting kicked, that? Yeah. <laughs> she did it really for good, too, and I think she did about five You're takes of it.
4: My son. a couple injuries here.
0: Luckily, nothing too serious. You're never gonna get away with this. Hard-making movies oh, for actors. You, I think Nev just, it was all three movies just constantly covered with bruises. But let's just suppose that you...
1: There was a fun thing here Was she throws uh, one of the guns into the uh, empty audience and we had like five prop people out there desperately trying to figure out where it was going to land and catch it because it was an expensive gun.
4: But not before he got off one shot at you. Okay so have i covered everything are there any questions any comments you know what though who gives a flying fuck anyway let them try and track down the.
1: Lori does a great job with this she was very quiet on the set you never knew quite what she was thinking and then she just come out and with these incredibly powerhouse performances very strong too i
0: love the way she holds that gun
4: was that a negative disparaging remark about my son about my billy no billy was a good boy Billy was perfect. You did a bang up job, Mrs. Loomis. Not wise to patronize me with a gun, Sydney. Randy spoke poorly of Billy, and I got a little knife happy. <sighs> I was a good mother. You know what makes me sick? I'm sick to death of people saying that it's all the parents' fault.
1: This is one of those uh, sequences where somebody does a lot of talking, and if you don't have a, an actor at the top of his or her form, uh, it would die. And she just made it work, gangbusters. And you
4: talk- My
0: son, you don't know what it is to be a mother. Such a great sick character, this mother character, angry that parents are blamed. Yeah, and and tricky
1: because she's, you know, she's like revealed at the very end of the movie and uh, really has just this series of scenes to establish herself and does it Mm -hmm. completely. (laughs) Favorite shots here.
0: Me too. Right there.
1: <laughs> and
2: this look at so
0: Sid is
1: great.
2: <laughs> it's almost gleeful revenge.
0: It's Jack Nicholson ish.
1: Here's where uh, some stunt women really earn their pay, too. Uh, great work here.
2: talking to us when we were editing this talking about there's no, nothing more effective than nature gone crazy and the idea of this kind of being this mock thunder and lightning storm for the ending or the theatrical thunderstorm right
1: those blocks were not light either that <laughs> poor stone woman had about five of them dropped on top of her
0: oh god
2: another one of those great moments where everything goes quiet, so you're just wondering where it's going to come from next.
1: If you look at the uh, look on Laurie's face through this, it's just amazing the intensity.
0: Great fight choreography here.
1: Tony Caesar, our stunt coordinator in this.
4: Don't you fucking move! God damn it!
2: It's one of the great moments in the ending when Cotton arrives because you just do not know which way he's going to go.
1: I don't think Cotton knows either, which is great.
0: He makes his decision as he goes along.
2: Sidney? Cotton meet Billy Loomis's
4: mother. She's the killer.
0: What? And who's that? The other killer, Mickey. He's also so funny, Cotton, Liv Shriver. You know, he puts...
1: It is. It's, it's a slightly comedic scene of this guy coming yeah. into utter chaos and just trying to figure out what yeah. the hell is going yeah, on. Yeah, he
0: does such a great job here.
4: Not
1: to be sold, are you? No. That's sort of weird intro. I love that.
0: He's very disappointed, of course, that she isn't a, a real uh, reporter.
1: Not right now.
0: Another betrayal.
4: As long as she's alive, you're never going to be the lead story. That's what you really want, isn't it, Cotton? If you really want...
1: To be I think it's, an, it's interesting, just to, you, as us as filmmakers, to, to know that Cotton could have easily gone either way here. And there were actually were script versions where he he did decide to, uh, to kill in order to remain the star.
4: Mm-hmm. Personally, I think it's... Rather-
2: and also for revenge on Sydney for putting him in, into jail for the exact thing that Laurie's trying to sell him here. Right. And Liev plays this so well because you, you don't know what he's going to side. And of course, he goes from point of the gun at Mrs. Loomis to Sydney.
4: Quite a predicament you're in, Sid. Cotton. I mean, she makes. That's a great a
1: sort of bargaining moment where they're all kind of making their case.
4: That Diane Sawyer interview's looking real good right about now.
3: Huh? Consider it done.
1: (laughs) The bargain made. Sydney sort of faces the real world and makes a deal so that uh, she can include the media in her world.
0: Falling back, Sydney and uh, or Laurie and Nev bumped their heads quite hard. Oh,
1: that's right, they smashed Remember their heads that? together. Yeah. yeah, knocked each other that's silly.
0: Actually, fell on a mat, but uh...
1: but just in jerking backwards, uh, their heads went together. yeah. Right?
4: Hey, Sydney, uh look, I want you to know that I would never, ever do anything to hurt you.
1: God and give me the gun.
4: Yeah, okay, sure. <laughs> Take it. Hey, Sid, you know, we should probably talk about what exactly happened here, you know? I mean, get our stories straight for the press station. God. Could somebody get me out of here? Gail. Oh, Are you all right? I've been shot. Of course not.
2: Gail, not dead yet. <laughs> There's great. con's reaction there when he jumps back, scared. Yeah, all right. He becomes the most girlish of the three. Shut
1: uh, up, Cahn. How bad is it? I think at this point the audience is wondering what else possibly could happen. you got
3: more lines than a cat.
2: would be a pretty hearty rip for that bullet to bounce off.
3: she did? I don't know. I always come back.
1: <laughs> Shameless misdirection again. You know, you're looking at Laurie thinking she's going to come back and instead it's Tim's character.
2: This absolute
1: cold
2: indifference.
3: Just in case.
1: Yeah, I think it was a big, uh, a big choice to have Nev that cold, to uh, have the character really have become very uh, uncompromising.
0: We debated that a lot. Yeah. The audience loved it.
2: I think in the original version, Dewey also died as well again, and uh, like he did in the first one, and then was not this ambulance in an
1: ad. So, yeah, I think it was. Uh, just. Thought, well, I wonder if we could get away with <laughs> doing, doing still it still alive. And we did. And I, I think uh, we would have been creamed had we not. Yeah. Oh
0: my god! Oh.
1: Especially having killed Randy. Nick Courtney does a great job here too. Yeah, yeah.
0: Dewey.
3: Go. Oh god.
0: Can't believe you're alive. Are you okay? Yeah. He's missing
1: a you shoe. Hang in there. David was saying all sorts of weird things. How you doing, buddy?
3: I'm coming with you.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Bye-bye. A lot of that hidden ADR, I remember, when he had a plastic cup over his face, talking (laughs) to the microphone. (laughs) Sydney, can you tell us how
4: it feels to be a hero? Talk to Cotton. He's the man you want to interview.
2: He's the hero. Starting to live up to her arrangement. Right.
1: And a workable solution. She can sort of just hand it off to somebody else and she's not in the spotlight. That's just fine with her.
0: And he's so grateful. He's still thrilled.
2: It's interesting. Everybody gets something out of it, out of the ending, even though there's been so much death and bloodshed, really, except for Sydney, who ends up again alone.
1: Right. Tell us something interesting to to note that in screen three she wears that necklace that jerry uh, gave her in this movie Uh, she wears it throughout screen three this is a helicopter shot we shot our whole afternoon doing this very dangerous helicopter hovering between a pine tree and a very hard building and uh, got all these shots and uh, they were all completely out of focus, except for the first part of one and the second part of another.
2: Um, this is actually the first take. This was actually a rehearsal. We had originally done a dissolve in between, but the one, the shot that we had dissolved to, actually had the ghost in the tower, and then it was debating that uh, perhaps we should not be so bold. <laughs> On the nose. Yeah. And that was actually the rehearsal.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: I was sitting in the helicopter, you know, I was uh, thinking, this is how directors die, I think, in helicopters. And then you get back and it's mostly out of focus. like, oh, my God. But it all worked out. Yeah, she wishes all day That she prays all night
4: she said she
1: Patrick Lussier now about to begin directing his first feature film, Dracula 2000, coming soon to a theater near you. Perhaps. <laughs> <laughs> Ones <laughs> like these
3: she hates to be alone for she is so
2: Flash frames
1: Who's this group that's coming
0: up? Yeah, who is this?
2: This is uh, Les and Jake doing a That's version right. of the uh, Partridge Family song, uh, which is they had submitted another song during the during the process and uh, the other song they submitted wasn't effective for the film, but both of us and I, I think, uh, and all of us like this band so much as they seem so charming uh, to deal with and they had such a great energy and a great sound that we just felt this was such a great way to go out.
1: I think it sort of captures the spirit of Scream too, because they use this very traditional song and yet uh, take it sort of, <laughs> you know, into warp speed, and it's great. Uh, I think Scream sort of does that the same way. Some some ways it's kind of sentimental and very romantic, in other ways it's, uh, you know, quite outrageous. Guys, it's been fun.
0: Yes, it has. Yes,
1: it has. Looking at the film, brings back a lot of wonderful memories.
2: Yeah, I haven't looked at that film in a while.
0: Not bad. Yeah, not too bad. Not (laughs) too bad at all. We had so much fun making it. We always use the same team. We've worked with some of these people for seven to ten years. And it just makes it like a big family. And we always have a good time, no matter how stressful or how last minute we get the pages. We tend (laughs) to uh, all get along and have a great time.
2: That's probably largely one of the the movies... uh, have that quality in them that everybody is so involved together and is definitely on the same boat or shackled to it.
0: <laughs> mm-hmm. I think Wes and I have been working together 13 years. Patrick, how long have we been working with you? Uh,
2: since uh, 91.
0: You've cut everything that we've done since. Yeah, since we, we met, met you. Nightmare Cafe. And uh, of course, Peter Demi has done the last four movies. And Nick Messendre, I think, has done everything from People Under the Stairs,
1: our first assistant director.
0: And Dan Arredondo was on People Under the Stairs.
2: Where did Dan start working with you in Laurel Canyon?
0: Laurel Canyon. Is that after People into the Stairs? I believe it was. Yes. Yeah. So, long time. Good team. I'm sorry it's over.
2: And there it is until Scream 4 or perhaps not. Maybe
0: 10 years, right?
1: <laughs> 10 years. Scream Redux.
0: It's a shame that we killed Cotton, up because it'd be fun to see what his show would be like then.
1: Prequel. Ghost figure. His death was faked. <laughs> There's always a way. Sydney in the knot house, just recounting
2: everything. Yeah. <laughs> Her therapy sessions.
1: Parallel versions.
0: And then there was this episode of 100% <laughs> Cotton, but...
2: Yes, of course.
0: Could have a lot of fun.
2: Sure, many a script will be uh, crossing the uh, desk of the Miramax offices. Even
0: though we all say we're not going to do another one, you never know.
1: Oh, really? Is this an announcement? Done, right? No, no, <laughs> I'm just saying
0: you never know. Certainly not in the next five years, but you never know. Or
1: four years, or three, or two. The next two weeks, I certainly am busy with that. Well, one week.
2: Three years. Or, or... <laughs>
0: doing this in, uh when? March. St. Patrick's Day. 2000.
2: And uh, well, we all walked away from the film in uh, Christmas of 1997.
1: Wow, what a memory. It's amazing. I haven't done many drugs, have you?
0: <laughs> Do you take ginkgo biloba?
1: I, I can't even say it.
2: like, I hope both with my toys
1: daydream i'm trying to courtesy of fun world division of easter unlimited they were a company that had no idea that we were making a film and we just found their mask on on a uh, location scout once and decided it was just what we needed
0: who found that mask Wes?
1: i think it was you marianne oh good though when i tell the story it was me but
0: i know it's not nice And then
1: another marianne's telling the story you have to i know she busted me
0: But you had completely forgotten that I'd found it. I thought I had.
1: I actually did think that I had, but that's how wrong I can be. Well, happy viewing. Bye, everyone. Bye.
3: Bye. I see him coming. I hear him coming.